In our last podcast, Dr. Z gave you some really great ideas on ways that you can partner with the person who is taking care of your child while you go to work, whether at whether that's a babysitter, a, a relative who comes to your house, or a childcare program where you take them. In this little bonus episode, I asked her, what are some practical tips for parents when something has come up and you just need to address it? So here's what she's got to say about that. So absolutely, I think the best tip is to really recognize that you are a partnership with your child's school. So once you choose to sign up and enroll your child into a school, you automatically become a partnership. Um, I know that I personally um, went through a situation where um, my son started school and he was a young two. He's born on August 28th. He's a cusp baby. And some of the parents here will will, uh, identify with that, that child that's born right before September 1st cutoff. So do you put him ahead or do you hold him back? And I'm so one of those kids. My birthday is 31st. Yes. Okay, good. You, you totally get this. So this uh-huh. is, this is wonderful. So yes. Yeah, so my son was on that edge. He was the youngest too. He did really well in twos, had really caring, wonderful teacher. Um, his favorite teacher was Mr. Jason, a male teacher who was just phenomenal. Fantastic. Came from Austin to Dallas and was just like his hero. And so he had this wonderful twos experience, lots of hands-on activities. I got so much art home that was process art. Um, I still have some things framed, um, you know, all over my home. I mean, he just did all of these wonderful things. And so uh, then he moved on to threes, same thing, had a great experience, was learning, growing, developing. Um, And then we had to make that tough decision. Do we put him in pre-K or does he repeat the three? So we said, let's go ahead and put him in pre-K. His language was um, ahead. You know, he was he was um, very verbal and we just felt like that was the right choice. So he starts pre-K. And as you can imagine, things go sour very fast. Maybe within the first four to five weeks, um, we start noticing um, you know, I get pictures from school and I see that he's like seated by himself on a chair while all the other kids are in a circle. And I'm like, why is he in a timeout chair? That's what it looked like. So he comes home and he's playing timeout. Well, we don't believe in timeout. And so, uh, so, you know, we really believe in sitting down and positively redirecting the child and talking to them. Well, then I start talking to the teacher about what's happening. And she says, Oh, you know, he just has behavioral issues and he's, you know, not very listening. He's not wanting to potty train um, as well. You know, it's very important that he's potty trained. He's in pre-K, but you know, he's a, he's a young, he's one of our youngest. And so, um, so this goes on and um, then, uh, you know, the, the preschool director gets involved. Uh, he's having a, she's having to put in an extra teacher in there just to be with him and watch him because he's having behavioral issues. So it becomes this huge thing that's like overtaking my life, September, October. And then the, the teacher asks us to get Daniel tested. She thinks something more might be going on with him. Go ahead and get him tested for PT, OT, and speech. Like she thinks he needs all of these services. So knowing that I'm in a partnership and knowing my background, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do my part. So we take Daniel to the hospital. We get him tested, PT, OT, and speech. PT and OT is kind of on the cusp. You know, he could be standing on his leg for five seconds. He's standing for three, you know, that kind of thing. And they're like, hey, if you want to bring him this summer, you can. Um, If you don't, you don't have to. But it wouldn't hurt for him to have PTOT if you choose to do so. Okay, no problem. I'll, I sign up. I think we ended up paying like $5,000 for PTNOT for that summer. No problem. If he's on the cusp and it's going to help him, 
physically uh, get his fine and gross motor skills to that level, I'm in. I will pay the money. We will do this, right? Because I believe in services. <laughs> I'm an early childhood educator. And then he, but what's interesting that happens is he, he gets speech uh, evaluated. And the speech therapist tells us, you will be really surprised to hear this. At this point, he's three and a half. Um, Daniel is not only a year ahead or two or three, he, he is up to six-year-old level for language. So no wonder his PT and OT is kind of like on the cusp because he's been busy learning language. She's like, his, his you know, language ability is incredible. Usually kids are a year ahead, maybe two, but three is like really excessive, could be talented and gifted. Great, right? Um, and as an early childhood educator, I think, oh gosh, that's another thing to wrap my head around that I'm going to have to worry about now for the remainder of this education, right? Instead of going like, yay, I'm like, no. And so, <laughs> so, you know, so I take all these results back, right? And I go to, I call a meeting with the teacher and the director. I give them these results freely. I'm like, what are we going to do about this? You know, and the teacher, Pause. Like, I just want to say, sure. you called the meeting. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I had to be an advocate for my own child. Right. So I call the meeting. We have the meeting. I, I address the issue with timeout that we don't believe in timeout that Daniel doesn't really um, respond to threatening environments or language. And, you know, so so we have these tough conversations and I say, OK, I did my part. I got him evaluated. I signed him up for physical therapy, occupational therapy over the summer. He will attend um, speech. He's way ahead on. So obviously it's not a comprehension issue that he's having when it comes to these behavioral issues. Right. So what are we going to do about this? And so we kind of navigate that. And, you know, the teacher says what she's going to do. I say what I'm going to do. We go back and forth and these problems continue to persist. So finally, the director and I have a, a meeting in December and I say, listen, like I've done my part. She's done her part. I just don't think this partnership is working. You know, my son is not responding well in her classroom. I noticed that he like now doesn't like going to school. He's crying. He's upset. Is there anywhere else you can put him? The, uh, the director proceeds to tell me the other pre-K class is full, but if you, he's so young, do you want him, me to put him in the threes? He can just, the second semester, instead of being in pre-K, he can repeat the threes. And I said, yes, let's just move him. Let's, you know, have him repeat the threes. I don't care that he's going to repeat three-year-old class, you know, for a semester. I just wanted to be happy and healthy and want to go to school because I saw a deterioration in his mood and his like confidence and his person for that semester. He wasn't in that, in that class. And so we put him in the threes and all of a sudden he's, you know, in another uh, classroom, Miss Lana's classroom, and he's thriving and doing so well. And turns out, you know, even though cognitively he was ready and able and Daniel is talented and gifted and he's uber smart socially, emotionally, he wasn't ready to be a pre-K student. Yeah. Right. And we kind of struggled with that, um, you know, what to do. And so this was a better fit. So he finishes the threes, does beautifully, starts pre-K the next year, um, even better. And within two weeks, I get another phone call from his new teacher and you're going to love this. And you know, that initial feeling is like, now what? Right. <laughs> right. We've done pre-K, you know, we, we did everything right now. What? And the teacher says to me, Hey, I wanted to let you know, like Daniel's done all of our math curriculum in two weeks for the entire year. I don't know what else to give him. <laughs> so I need you to go test him for talented and gifted. Right. So it's a whole different conversation now than I had the previous year. So sure enough, I think our insurance covered most of it. And my husband takes him. I didn't even want to take him as an educator. I was like, I don't want to be present. 
he goes and takes this like 90 minute test. The woman tells us, you know, nine out of 10 children are uber smart when their teachers are come in for them to take this test. But in order for him to like be intelligent and gifted, he has to score 130 IQ or above. So most likely, you know, he will have a high IQ, but you know, it won't be just to let you know, nine out of 10 kids that come through us. Don't get your hopes up lady. Yeah. Yeah. It was that conversation. I said, yeah, yeah, sure. The teacher recommended it. Like we're just doing what she's asking us to do. I'm partnering with the teacher. So then she calls me after she administers this 90 minute test a week later. And she's like, guess what? He scored 130 on math and 129 on language, which we round up to 130. So he's talented and gifted. What are you going to do now? And I said, oh, I was going to ask you the same question. (laughs) Now what? So here we have this child now who's the oldest pre-K child, right? Born August 28th. And he's talented and gifted. So now what does that look like? How do we navigate this? Luckily, the, the his teacher that year, Miss Ingress in pre-K, was wonderful and got some uh, kindergarten materials for him so he could work on those. And then once he started kindergarten, it was already the pandemic. And those teachers taught first K, first and second grade so they could give him more materials. So this has really been a wonderful thing for him because he's had teachers that are responsive. So when we moved and came here and he was going to start first grade, I was very transparent with the teacher. Here are Daniel's test results. Here's sort of what he's been through. Here are the things that are happening to advocate for him. And sure enough, he started getting second grade math homework, I would say maybe the fourth week of first grade. So he gets extra packets for math and math is his thing. And this is what he's into and loves. He's reading. So I would definitely say be an advocate for your child, right? Always. But you do have to partner with the teachers. If they tell you that your child needs a specific test, like in my case, PTOT speech, do it, or talented and gifted test, do it, or any other kind of test, get it done. Uh, because either it rules it out or you get your child the services that they need. The sooner that they get the services that they need, the better. Um, do I believe that you know uh, the PTOT that he took that summer for three months was helpful? 100%. I saw improvements in his physical ability. And I Daniel's always been cautious. My son is one of those kids who like won't jump off a couch when other kids are jumping off. He's like, that looks dangerous, you know? Uh, so he's just a cautious kid. But I do think those services weren't a hindrance. I think they were a help. Um, and, you know, do I have some high athletic hopes that he's going to be in the Olymp- Olympics? Absolutely not. But, um, you know, but he can play soccer and did swimming and tennis and did all these things, physical Uh, sports and activities. And I do believe PTOT helped. So, you know, in some ways, um, maybe his language prowess and his abilities, you know, definitely sort of slowed some of those other, uh, other things that he needed to work on or develop. Um, And so and so I do think that, again, that partnership is important, right? Connect with, uh, with the teachers and do what they ask, but also advocate for a child know what's right and what's not for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really great story. And I love how you, you cooperated with their recommendations, even though maybe you didn't really believe 100% he needed it. And then once you got your results, you just requested this meeting and you said, Hey, what are we going to do? Here's the results. And um, you got him moved into a classroom where he would thrive. That was, that was really the best thing and the, a great way to advocate for him. So yeah. way to go. Thanks. Well, and I mean, it's going to be a lifelong thing, right? Like advocating for this child who has special needs. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, sometimes people think like only autism is special needs or speech or developmental delay. I think talented and gifted is a special need. I don't think a lot of schools are equipped to handle those children or know how to or how to challenge them. 
So, you know, I know I'm going to have to be his advocate in his education for, for mm-hmm. the remainder of it, making sure that he gets what he needs. And as long as he's in a loving, nurturing environment with the right teachers, I know it's going to happen because the right teachers can tell if a child sits down, like he sat down and in five minutes completed something that takes other kids 25 or 30 minutes to do. You don't want him to sit bored for the next 20 minutes, yeah. not having anything to do. So I do think like that transparency, that honesty, that relationship is so important and so key and has to be intentional. And parents need to advocate for their children. And and yes, you do have to, whether you believe it or not, or whether you're seeing it at home or not, you do have to sort of, you know, early childhood education, uh, teachers are experts uh, yeah. on on child development, but you're an expert on your child. Right. And if you can just keep those two things in mind, you're both experts. I'm mm-hmm. an expert on my child, but they're experts on how children develop. So if we both work together and do what needs to be done, then there will be success, <laughs> you know, right. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, it's a really, a great, a great point to end on, you know, that the parent is the expert on their own child and the early childhood person has seen hundreds, maybe hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children that same exact age. So they are an expert as well (laughs) in addition to their education and experience, but um, yeah. And every child needs to have all these experts on them, right? (laughs) 100%. That's the only way. And I think that I think that there's great hope for the future. I think um, now that we're out of the pandemic, we're going to have to partner even more to help children overcome some of the things that have come up during a pandemic. Um, And so this collective trauma that our children have experienced. And so I think that partnership is going to be key to to help children thrive. So as long as we are partnering, I think that we will be okay. Right. Yeah. The collective trauma is, it's really interesting. It's it's Mm -hmm. really something. But um, I know that all of you researchers out there and all of the colleges and universities are going to be able to come up with some really great solutions to, to help children. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. You have a lovely day. If you love today's episode, please share it with a friend. The first years can be overwhelming for any parent, whether your baby's a newborn or out there walking and talking and taking on the world by force. So share away. All you have to do is head to the platform where you're listening Click on the share button or the icon and share it to a friend. I so appreciate you taking the time to do so, and it really helps me support other parents on their journey. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now.